Um, our sermon is our gospel reading. Um, Taylor is going to come and preach for us the entire Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus widely regarded as history's greatest preacher, even by people outside the church. And this is widely regarded as his greatest sermon. Uh, this morning, I want you to imagine that you are seated on that hillside on the mount, um, listening to this sermon for the first time. I think you'll find it better if you close your Bibles this once and uh, open your ears and listen to what Jesus had to say. Um, so Taylor's going to preach for us the entire sermon from Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, and then afterwards, there'll be time for Q&A. So if, uh, as the sermon's being preached, it, it raises questions for you, please uh, note those down. Um, and uh, there'll be a time for asking your questions after the sermon. Um, and hopefully there are lots of questions. Hopefully, that, hopefully there are far more than we can handle. So um, if it turns out that your question uh, doesn't get answered in this time, then uh, take heart that we're going to be preaching through the entire sermon over the next three or four months. Um, and hopefully uh, there'll be lots of other opportunities to have your questions answered. So um, let me pray for us as Taylor comes up to preach this great sermon. Jesus, we have long marveled at your great wisdom, um, at your life that really is shaped like the instructions, and we do long that our lives also would follow the pattern of yours, um, that we would please God in the shape of our lives just as you did, Lord. So I pray for this message, and thank you for these precious words, words straight from heaven, words that give us light to our eyes, uh, light upon the path ahead. Uh, that our hearts may be uh, warmed, that they may fall in love with you all over again, that they may be motivated to walk in the steps that you have uh, walked before us. I pray that our hearts would be transformed this morning. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Please be seated. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you you are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under men's feet. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot shall pass from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For truly I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Anyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And anyone who says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Therefore, if you're at the temple offering your gift and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your accuser while you're on your way with him to court or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the guard and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that any man who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that any man who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And any man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear even by your own head, because you can't cause one hair to turn either white or black, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, 
an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But if you only love those who love you. What more are you doing than others? Not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet your brothers and sisters in the streets. What more are you doing others than others? Do not even the pagans do the same. Be Perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. But beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not sound the trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners. To be praised by men. Truly I tell you. They have received their reward. But when you give. Do not let your left hand know. What your right hand is doing. That your giving may be done in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret. Will reward you. And when you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Do not be like them. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up Empty phrases as the pagans do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive men their sins, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look gloomy as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Do not be like them, to be praised by others. 
But you, when you fast, pour oil on your head and wash your face so that it may not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is in heaven and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, it's the lamp of the body. So if the eye is good, your entire body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your entire body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by worrying, could add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, oh, what shall we eat? Or oh, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Judge not lest you be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the while there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First remove the log from your own eye. And then you will see clearly. To remove the speck from your brother's eye. But do not give to dogs what is holy. And do not cast your pearls before swine. Lest they trample them underfoot. And then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open for all who ask, receive. All who seek, find. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, would give to him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give to him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your father in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? So in all things, do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And many go that way. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life and only a few find it. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can the diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And when Jesus finished saying all these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one who had authority and not as their scribe. Amen. Let's take a few moments of silence to let those words sink in. I hope that was an enlightening experience. I'm sure you've heard uh, pretty much every word of that uh, before, but I don't know if you've heard it all at once like that uh, put together. So um, we'd love to hear from you uh, if, if that sparked any questions in you uh, or also if there were any things you noticed in the way that um, 
uh, Taylor delivered that sermon today. Uh, Fumi is going to be Mr. Microphone and come around. Um, when Jesus said blessed in the Beatitudes, what exactly did he mean by blessed are? Blessed are, yeah. What, is, what does Jesus mean in the Beatitudes? Um, that's a good question, and um, I was reading a book earlier this week that really questions that as an interpretation. And one of the reasons is it can sound like, um, almost like a kind of prosperity gospel, like the favor of God's going to be on you, um, which doesn't really make sense because a lot of these things um, do not sound like states of prosperity, mourning, you know, um, being persecuted for righteousness sake. Um, one uh, person I was reading this week um, wanted to translate it, um, flourishing are those who do these things. In other words, to describe a state of kind of like eternal well-being for the person. So um, it's like Jesus is painting a picture of what human flourishing is really in light of who God is. So um, uh, when he says, um, rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, he's like saying, hey, this is actually really good news because you're out of step with a world that's out of step. And so you're showing your alignment with me, and that's where true blessedness comes from. And so um, I think you can kind of take it in two ways. Um, one way is uh, in the hereafter. Um, there's this idea that we want to live uh, in the same way that we will when heaven and earth come together and Jesus' kingdom is consummated and manifest. We want to start living in that way now. When is the Lord Jesus going to start divvying up the earth to the meek? At the consummation of his kingdom, you know, when there's a new heavens and a new earth. Um, and so we want to start to live that way now because we believe uh, so um, earnestly that Jesus is truly king even right now, that we are going to be living in step with that kingdom, even if it puts us out of step with the world. So there's a kind of a future orientation to a lot of these blessings. But then there's also a sense in which, um, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount and really in the rest of the New Testament, um, there's a sense that the Holy Spirit will be our guide, will be our friend, will be our sustainer, so that we get to experience these blessings even in this life. Mm -hmm. This sense that um, even those who are mourning, even those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the world isn't conforming to that standard, there's a sense in which God will uh, give us the ability to thrive even in the midst of trials. Um, and Jesus really views the life of discipleship uh, not as um, a life that's going to be blessed by the government of your country or something like that. Um, but a life that's going to put you out of step with the world, but one that he will sustain you in. Well, that was the first word. Anyone got any uh, questions about the second word? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Any, any part of the sermon? Any part of the sermon, yeah. I was wondering, so it says to not worry about tomorrow. I was wondering if you could define worry. Yeah. Worry in the sense that Jesus is talking about. Um, and I think the best thing to do is to do the old inner varsity trick and say, um, what does the passage tell us? What does it tell us in that very moment? Right. He's, ta he's talking about not being, um, not running after um, food and uh, 
and uh, clothing and things like that. Um, and so he seems to think that if your mind, uh, and, and I mean, that's really convicting because, I mean, these are basic necessities, you know. Um, we run after them for, for fashion, <laughs> right? Um, but, um, but Jesus is saying, if, if, you, if your mind gets in that space to where you're primarily concerned in this life about your next meal, or you're primarily concerned in this life about providing for yourself for the future, or about you know, um, uh, uh, you know, arraying yourself with a certain kind of clothing and all these sorts of sorts of things. You're going to put yourself in the headspace of the pagans, rather than the headspace of the faithful believers who recognize that, you know, even that the Father knows we need these things, but He wants to give them to us as a gift, and so He wants us to operate in this life in such a way that we're trusting the giver to give us those gifts in his timing and his ways rather than making that the sort of um, so maybe a way to put it is we we look to Jesus sometimes to say help us to have victory in the midst of the rat race and Jesus is saying actually I want to deliver you from the rat race yeah 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 Tanner Could you clarify the pearls before swine? Yeah, do not cast your pearls before swine, um, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn and tear you to pieces. That's a, um, that's a hard saying. Uh, Jesus had just been talking about the process, that you ha the process of self-purification you have to go through to, and if you're going to correct somebody else, like a brother or sister in the faith. You know, it's you know, sort of something that Jesus elaborates on later in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Where he talks about take the log out of your eye first, and then you'll see clearly. A lot of times people think when Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, it means never correct a brother or sister in their sin. That's actually not what he says. He says, number one, remember that you're not the judge. God is. <laughs> and then he says, if you're going to correct them, make sure that you've actually corrected yourself first. Um, we have a tendency to see other people's specs as logs and to see our logs as specs. And Jesus wants us to be of the mind that our sin is more serious. It's a more serious matter. And then he says right after that, but do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and then turn and tear you to pieces. This word that he, that's used here was a common word that, um, that the Jewish people of his day, his Jewish brethren, used for non-believers or for pagans. And... Um, I think it's hard because it's a hard metaphor for those who are not believers to hear um, from the words of Jesus. But I think what he's warning us about is um, being so eager to correct and show people who don't even believe the truth of God and to like correct them from that place that there's a way in which they're coming from such a different standpoint that not only could your correction fall on deaf ears, but it could almost be like weaponized against you. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of, you know, having some sort of precious truth or wanting to correct someone who's not a believer on the basis of God's word. But I think Jesus is saying, uh, be, be very careful with that. Um, and um, I don't think he would say that, that, that there's never a time for that. Um, and to back that up, I would kind of zoom out to some other scriptures. But I think he's basically saying just be careful with those pearls of kingdom wisdom 
and how you're applying that to somebody who um, is, a, is, you know, is a scoffer or, or, or is, is an enemy to the very truths that, that you're wanting to teach. Walk us through the eye and the hand. The, the eye, the hand. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, he said, walk us through the eye and the hand. Yeah, that's maybe the most famous part of the sermon. <laughs> Uh, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that any man who looks upon a woman with lustful intent, that's, that's the translation from the ESV. I really like that translation because I don't think that it's mere physical attraction to someone that constitutes lust. Um, you know, uh, God has made human beings to be attracted to each other in these ways. But lustful intent is, I'm going to, I'm going to use my imagination or, or some sort of pornographic material or whatever to sort of feast myself on you in ways that you haven't agreed to. Um, and that's different than just saying, I find this person attractive. You know, it's, it's, it's the second look and the lingering look, like, okay, you know, that, that Jesus is after here. Um, a lot of people don't like the Sermon on the Mount because they specifically feel like that part of it is um, impossible. And um, I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, you know, just as a personal testimony, I, you know, I remember going through that process of the Lord purifying me. And I think what he's talking about when he talks about tearing out your eye and cutting off your hand is um, it's the opposite of saying, how close can I get without crossing the line? The Apostle Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, right? It's this image of like Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. He's like, you're trying to do something, I'm out of here, <laughs> like running, right? Um, and so he's like, far from sort of flirting with the line, cut, you know, tear out your eye, cut off your hand. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a characteristic like Hebrew overstatement. You know, obviously someone can still lust with one eye, you know. Somebody can still lust with one hand. But I think what he's trying to get at, uh, get at is um, it, it's so important. I, I remember um, a friend of mine in college who was dealing with pornography and just had been for many years. And this is back when people didn't have wireless internet. They had these things called ethernet cords. All right, children. <laughs> You plug it in the wall and then plug it in your computer, and that's how the internet comes. Um, but uh, he was dealing with it, and so one day he came and gave me his ethernet cord, and he said, if I need to use the internet, I'm just going to go to the school library. And it was a real inconvenience for him, because it was like a 15-minute walk from, from where we lived to, to the school library. But I think that was a way of him trying to uh, gouge out his eye. Now, you're not going to be healed just through that outward action, you know, he still needed to be purified by the Lord from the inside out. But it's, a, it's, it's kind of a statement to God that I'm going to take this seriously. I'm not just going to keep doing the same thing with my girlfriend that caused me to stumble. I'm not going to just be surfing the web at the same time of night that always causes me to stumble. I'm not going to just let myself sit and feast my eyes on people that aren't my husband or aren't my wife or whatever. And uh, I think Jesus is, is warning that, um, that we need to have that kind of um, ascetical posture toward our flesh when it comes to this, so that we can enjoy the gift of sexuality in its right context, 
in his timing. There's obviously a lot of questions to ask. Um, let's just do one more, though, so we can keep the service going. Yeah, Ceci. Yeah. She asks, what does being poor in spirit mean? And Jesus uses that phrase right off the jump, doesn't he? Um, man, um, I feel like that's been a convicting phrase for me um, as I've been thinking about the Sermon on the Mount afresh. Um, the Beatitudes have probably been the most personally convicting to me. Um, um, poverty of spirit is a um, b best I can tell from, from my reading and just meditation on it is um, a kind of um, a kind of humility, a kind of um, um, I'm not just going to assert myself and um, do my own thing and. Um, I think there's there's a way in which um, we can live in this life, which is I'm going to take the highest seat, <laughs> you know, to use another one of Jesus's parables, um, because that's the way you get ahead in this life. You 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 assert yourself, you put yourself first. But Jesus says, take the lowest seat, you know, and let and let the Lord <laughs> or let other people move you up, right? Uh, Jesus says, anyone who tries to keep his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake will truly find it. So I think there's a, um, to, to, to go back to Sarah Hall's children's sermon, I think we need to look at Jesus to know what poverty of spirit looks like. You know, he washed the feet of Judas just before Judas betrayed him. You know, uh, Jesus was the one who, when the disciples said, hey, these Samaritans, they didn't receive the word of God. Should we call down fire from heaven on them? And he's like, no, that's not, what, what's wrong with you guys? You know? um, so I do think there's a way in which Jesus is the living Torah. He's the living word. He's the one, his own life exegetes what he means by these things. And um, it doesn't mean uh, never do something with confidence. It doesn't mean uh, necessarily you know, let people walk all over you. Um, but I do think that there is a, there's a, a basic uh, humility that comes from trust in the fact that God will have the final word. So I don't need to try to exercise that level of control over my own destiny 